Making sure there was adequate closet space. Good. This house is yours if you want it. We'll take it. <laughs> okay. Just me. See what? She knew. She was drawing angels. Between 1 and 2.30, I traveled 400 miles. I've got no memory. The past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things. Weird lights, strange phone calls. Hello? Hello, Who is this? What do you do when someone comes into your office and tells you they saw this in their backyard? My wife saw some. Drew pictures. Just like this. Who showed you this? You know what that is? One day, I started hearing voices. The voices became messages. It was right here. All I could see were these two red eyes. I met him. You met him. He said, do not be afraid. Nine and I will die. Nine and I will die. All 99 are believed dead. You're reading my mind, are you? What's in my hand? This isn't just a message. It's a prediction. Welcome to Definitely First Blood, episode 11. 11. Double one. Yes, two ones. <laughs> and it was your choice this week. Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> Which means we're watching 2002's A Mothman, or A Mothman's Prophecies. <laughs> Not A Mothman, The Mothman. Presumably there's only one going by the title of this movie. So this is one of the movies from today when we say that we do movies from... Well, I wouldn't say it's from today. It is 16 years old. Yeah, that's true. It can drive now, legally. <laughs> so I guess it is from a generation ago. Indeed. So how are you? I'm good. How's I'm really your goose? Good. Uh, my goose, he... Well, I thought he was my friend... Because he still keeps coming up to me whenever I stop to feed him. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, I've been feeding him steel-cut oats, I think. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he likes them as much as the regular oats. Okay. So uh, recently I purchased some regular oats. Sounds exciting. Yeah, I, I know. he likes those. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did. So... 
The goose is still pretty ornery, but he seems to prefer the oats that I've been giving him now. I switched back to the ones that weren't steel cut. Well, that's good. His lady, I'm still not approaching, though. Although I did see her turning her eggs this morning, so hopefully that's a good sign. So, The Mothman. 2002, stars Richard Gere, Laura Linney, Deborah Messing. Yeah, Deborah Messing in a uh, very one-dimensional role as your standard female character. Based on a novel by John Keel. Yes. Not Klein, as he's presented in this movie. Yeah, in uh, 1975. 1975. Is that when the book came out? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Uh, So... We open on a bird's eye view of, I don't know what I'm assuming is that West Virginia town that later makes up most of the movie. And uh, Richard Gere is... Well, if it, the aerial view, if it's of Richard Gere, then it's not in West Virginia, it's in D.C. Oh, yeah. So it would be the aerial view of D.C. where he works at the Washington Post. Yes. So we get the aerial view of D.C. Uh... And he's he doesn't just work at the Washington Post. As his boss later proclaims, he's their star reporter. <laughs> Which, in some great expositional dialogue. Uh, he's trying to get a hold of his wife, Mary, played mm-hmm. by Deborah Messing. Yes. And she is in the shower, so yeah. she doesn't hear the the phone no she doesn't but i guess you could call her deborah cleaning because <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite of a, a mess, mess. <laughs> yeah my uh, hilarious jokes uh <clears throat> and uh it's like very of the times like intro graphics like it's it was made the exact same year as panic room and i noted like several similarities between the two and one of them is that the the intro credits interact with the environment like you can see them reflected in deborah messing's shiny lipstick case and stuff like that it's very interesting yeah and there's those michael bay-esque like light streaks uh yeah the the lens flare always always John Klein's leaving his Washington Post Christmas party to submit a bid on a house with his wife, Mary. Yeah, so they meet each other at the what is potentially their dream house, mm-hmm. right? They decide to buy it, and Deborah Messing could not be happier. No, definitely not. Uh, so happy, in fact, that they're going to make out in the exact same closet that Jamie Lee Curtis was murdered in in Halloween. Um, so they go look around the house and they find the closet, like you said, mm-hmm. and they start making out when they're interrupted by the real estate agent. Yeah. Who catches them in the act. Wearing a shirt under a blazer. Terrible look. And then they say they'll take it and continue to make out. Uh-huh. And they are on their way, excitedly going home. Yes. And Deborah Messing, or she says, oh, you know, it felt like a dream come true. Uh, and almost immediately afterwards, uh, she sees the Mothman flying up to her in the road, and she crashes the car and goes unconscious. 
Yeah, she sees its red eyes, yeah. and then she swerves, loses control of her car, and then crashes. Uh, does she smashes her head off the window? Yeah, he gets off fine. Yeah, he gets out of it fine. Uh, my fi- one of my favorite parts. Uh, he gets on the phone and says nine one one. <laughs> like his early 2000s model cell phone dials 911 is voice activated um, at the hospital mm-hmm. uh, Deborah Messing wakes up from her coma yeah, recoils to she, see or not even a coma I guess yeah. but she's naturally very sketched out mm-hmm. her, her something's funky with her vision she keeps seeing like red streaks and stuff yeah didn't you see it and then she's like, oh, something's wrong with me. Yeah, and she this, knows something's wrong with her. And this is when she starts weeping, and she does not stop weeping for the rest of her screen time during this life in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Gere is looking out over the the lawn of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so this is a recurring thing throughout the movie uh, where there's very obvious Y shapes. Yeah. Red so- eyes. They usually show the Y symbol before something bad is about to happen. So it's carved into the grill of their car. Mm-hmm. It's on the front lawn. And then there's some other places too throughout the movie that it's there right when. Yep. Uh, and in this case, it's inside of Mary's brain. Yeah, she's got a tumor. Yeah. And they couldn't get it all out, no. he says to his friend. So they're going to have to do chemo instead. Yes. And she never loses her hair, thank God. Well, she dies too soon. Yeah. This is like a matter of, I think, like two days or something. Yeah, it would seem so. Uh, Richard gives us like a a pretty liney line where he's like, ah, the universe goes like, oh, there you are. The happy couple. I've been looking for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, implying that like they were chosen f- to suffer basically <laughs> yeah uh, he goes back to the accident scene and this is where we get to see richard gear doing his remembering face it's very intense acting this is another scene where um you they very visibly show a y again in the tree mm-hmm. and burned onto the front of the car yeah, well, that yeah, that's when it sort of shows it um, at the start when they're driving, um, but then now he notices it. Um, yeah, yeah, and and like you wouldn't have noticed this before. I guess he's too consumed with Mary, who literally dies after this. Yeah, because yeah. he goes home and he gets the call that mm-hmm. she's died. Like, and for all of the. This movie was overly long, but I will say that at least there wasn't as much exposition as there could have been. Like, they showed a lot more than they tell, at least. Yeah, definitely. And I think the the cinematography is very interesting and how it's always, like, above, sort of, like, inhuman angles. Yeah. Swooping in like you're looking through the Mothman Or, like, spying in. Yeah. Um, Then he obviously is very upset that his wife has died so he goes to sit alone you know it's snow covered park yeah anguished anguished on a bench uh and he senses that he's being watched or someone's coming up behind him or something like as the camera swoops Mm. in but there's no one there (laughs) 
so he goes from there to the hospital where he's packing up his wife's uh, hospital room in this giant alligator suitcase, like like truly huge alligator suitcase. Uh, and a porter comes up behind him and says, she knew it was coming. She was drawing angels or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not really sure how this guy could mistake what she was drawing for angels because when uh, John's looking through this notebook. Well, it's hinted later in the movie that he was injured cold. Yes, definitely. But like... Uh, they're clearly like hellish. Yeah, he's looking at the pictures, and they're like Francis Bacon. Definitely, they're not very screaming looking. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, he looks up, and then the porter has disappeared. Yes. Uh, cut to two years later. Uh, John is on a television in one of those uh, storefront windows that only exists in movies where it's all TV screens and his is the only one that's steadily getting more and more and more and more staticky until it completely fades out. Uh, not, not a good look. It's ominous, if you will. <laughs> uh, he has to travel because he has a meeting with the Senator that he's interviewing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, his friend wants to set him up on a date because it's been two years. He should be over yeah. his dead ass wife already. Get back into the game. Um, but he like he blows blows her off. Yeah, he ghosts and goes to Virginia anyway. Yeah, he's like, I'm really why, and he calls his friend who had set him up and says, I'm really keyed up right now. I'm driving to Richmond. He's going to meet with the senator. Oh. That's why he's going to Virginia oh, in the first place. Yes. Okay. But he gets uh, turned around or lost, possessed by the Mothman, and he ends up hundreds of miles away in West Virginia, yes. which he doesn't really realize right away. But he finds himself in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the middle of the night. His car breaks down on this road. Yeah, and he gets out. Uh, only to—it's not just his car; it's his cell phone and his watch. Everything in his immediate vicinity has stopped working, which doesn't bother him at all until he's like five paces outside of the car for some reason. And while he's outside the car, bud, the shadow of a tree intersects with mm. the middle line to show another Y symbol. Not a good sign. He should be paying attention to these Y symbols. So he walks to a nearby house, thinking he's going to get some help. But unfortunately for him, uh, the house belongs to Gordon Smallwood. Yeah. Who's been expecting him <laughs> uh, inexplicably. So he holds uh, John up at, at shotgun point, uh, naturally in his shower. I'm assuming so that if he shoots him, he doesn't have a lot of cleaning up to do, which is pretty smart. Yeah, I think that was probably the reason, or like the intention anyway. I liked it. Um, the police officer, Connie, Connie yeah. is already there because allegedly this guy's shown up every night for the past three nights. Mm-hmm. So I guess she was there to intercept him this time. 
Yeah. In like hopes of intercepting him this time. Him in advance. Um, She's able to defuse the situation. She talks Smallwood down. And uh, then he explains why he is so suspicious of this mm-hmm. John Klein fellow. Uh, John has to even, like, show them his ID. That he's from the Washington Post. Ooh. Yeah. Um, as if that would make him more credible somehow. But uh, obviously John's completely bewildered because he's been in D.C. this whole time with his crazy license plate with a crown on it. Connie tries to uh, get the receipts from Mrs. Smallwood, mm-hmm. but she says she didn't. She hasn't seen him. But she did hear him. Ooh. Uh, so Connie takes off with John Klein and uh, she's going to bring him to a hotel to spend the evening. Yeah. But she recognizes him from the DC review show because not all small town hicks are jabronis who don't watch political shows, I guess. So, and while, while driving him, she says things have been a little strange around here recently very ominous like Twin Peaks yeah um, so John checks into the hotel and while he's looking while he's checking in he's looking at uh, a map trying to figure out where he is in Virginia mm-hmm. and this is when he finds out that he's actually in West Virginia yeah 400 miles away from where he originally was which, I mean, I don't know my imperial system, <laughs> but seems like a lot. And then the next day, when he goes to meet the mechanic who was supposed to be fixing his car, the mechanic says that there was nothing wrong with it. Yep. Uh, uh, and naturally what you do is uh, you go for a little walk around the town, and when you see the guy who accused you of stalking him, you approach him. Just to apologize and set things straight. Yeah, so he runs into Gordon, and then he tries to tell him anyway that he has no idea why he's there or how he got there. Um, And Gordon just rebuffs all of this and is like, and they call me crazy. Yeah, like he's very focused for the whole movie on like, I'm not crazy. Are you calling me crazy? What are you saying? You calling me crazy? Which basically tells me that he, he might be crazy. So John uh, gets in his car again to drive off and does the natural, completely normal thing, decides to wait outside of Gordon's house yet again at 2.30 in the morning. Well, he doesn't decide to do it. He, like, has a click-clack like he did before, and he just wakes up there. Oh. And, like, his clock, his, his watch has stopped again, and the cop... Yeah, that's is not tapping good. on the window and she wakes him up. And is like, hey, do you expect to meet yourself? Or see yourself? So he goes back with her to the police cruiser to watch Gordon, who is waiting for John to show up again, but with a gun. So John is sort of, I guess, uh, pleased with the fact that he didn't show up, like she said. Mm-hmm. Um, then she tells him more about the strange stuff that has been happening in Point Pleasant lately. Um, 
and she says it's hard to explain. So she decides to take John to the archives, I guess. Yeah, it's like presumably showing him confidential like police reports for no reason other than personal interest. <laughs> and my other favorite part, these, this isn't your local speed freak. These are church-going people, bud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's lots of reports about the Mothman. Uh, weird lights, strange phone calls. A lot of, there's something strange in my yard. Um, so she shows him a picture, and he recognizes it because it's the same beast creature monster from mm-hmm. Mary's drawings at the hospital the silhouette um, so she takes him to go see the artist who's yeah. just like a regular old local woman like, who happened to spot him out of her window think about like the five foot woman you might see on a bus who looks like she smokes like a pack a day I that, think that's a pretty good comparison yeah. <laughs> uh, And on the back of the tree Where she f- saw the Mothman After it fixed eyes with her uh, Is a big uh, Burned V shape Or Y shape, sorry It's a V with a tail In this <laughs> case, in my opinion She saw the two red eyes And she kept looking at them She couldn't stop mm-hmm. They go visit the firehouse And they have been getting Hang up, weird uh, screechy calls Beepy calls uh, Even when they changed their number Before they gave it out to anyone else They still got the calls uh, And naturally John Klein gets, Very spooky yeah, Gets to listen to these They, they sound like uh, EVPs that didn't work out Have you ever gotten any weird Phone calls Like obscene phone calls or anything I don't think so Have you Not like phone calls really like there's one that stands out Mm -hmm. and it was before i started high school like the summer before grade nine you had to go pick up your schedule and so i went to go pick mine up and i got home and someone called me and they were like they asked me if i got my schedule that day and i said yes and they said well you're a smart cookie aren't you and then they hung up and to this day i have no idea who it was so creepy i know right (laughs) Smart cookie. Yeah. Hmm. So John ends up going with Connie to uh, hear from two horny teens who were boning down in their car when they saw the Mothman. Yeah. Uh, They were going to the, quote, TNT area. (laughs) It's a, well, in the real town as well, there's a, a... TNT factory. Yeah, so. it was like an abandoned World War II ammunitions yeah. plant. And they stored a lot of gunpowder in these weird, like, concrete igloo things. Mm-hmm. The the boy, his mm-hmm. eyes are totally swollen. One of them will never heal or something, yeah, he says. Yeah, it's like, completely bloody and bloodshot. And, you know, that's what they get from making out on the Mothman's turf. And he manifested as, like, a being of pure light. Not a good sign. Yeah, never a good sign. Yeah, uh, but they're getting married. Yeah, I think it uh, is kind of hinted at that they are pregnant. Like yeah. she's pregnant. Oh, smart. Like that's why she's so defensive about it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm not together. sure. No, I like that idea. She's a Mothman's baby. <laughs> John hits up the 
electronics store. Mm-hmm. You know, your normal small town used electronics store that's crazy packed wall to wall with weird used electronics. He's looking for a tape recorder. Uh, an answering machine yeah. because of the, the phone calls. Mm-hmm. So while he's looking at this stuff, Gordon Smallwood comes up to him. Yeah. Oh, I had a migraine last night and I went to the bathroom to take an ad or an aspirin and there was a voice coming up from the The sink. Yeah. For an hour it said 99 will die in Denver or something like that. Yeah. It's Denver. 99 will die. Do not be afraid. And he listened to that for an hour, which is a long time to listen to that. So John and Gordon head out of the store. Mm Mm-hmm. They go to go their separate ways, but then John sees that Gordon's ear is bleeding. (laughs) Yeah, not a good sign. Naturally, they go to the local hospital, which is the size of Noah's Ark. Yeah, because uh, John is concerned that Gordon has the same ailment as his wife. Yeah, glioblastoma, which is like a brain... Well, brain cancer. We already knew it was brain cancer. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, it's just a migraine. Mm -hmm. It's not anything serious like brain death or anything like that yeah uh so they go to a diner afterwards uh for little post-hospital munchies so it's uh denise smallwood Mm -hmm. gordon smallwood and john klein uh shooting the shit you know tumor talk tumor talk yes i like to call it and uh john is not paying attention to this whatsoever in fact he's looking uh beyond gordon's head at the tv up in the corner i have no idea how he noticed this because the sound is basically off and it was one of those really small like you know like tube tv tvs Mm mm-hmm but anyways, he notices Movie it. magic, I yeah, guess. Yeah, <laughs> and gets inexplicably drawn to it uh, and turns it up. And the news station says, 99 dead in Denver air crash. The sink was right. Yeah. This is the first time now that we hear from the professor that's pretty much the most useless pointless character in the entire movie yeah like the least informative professor he hates giving out information exactly and when john tries calling him he just hangs up on him yeah like don't call like don't talk to me anymore don't contact me anymore uh and which just piques john's interest even more like he should have just lied to him and like (laughs) oh i made it all up ha 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 uh but he didn't uh, he talk. John goes to talk it over with Connie in her very '90s apartment. It looks like one of the apartments from Friends, or well, it's a house, but it it looks like one of the Friends apartments. Uh, and uh, she tells him about this dream that she had, where she was in the middle of the ocean, uh, surrounded by Christmas presents. Yeah, she was trying to swim, but it was too cold, and then she was gonna drown. Yes. But she heard a voice that said, uh, wake up number 37 yeah. or number 37, wake up, something yeah. like that. And it's at this point in the movie that I realize, man, they really cake on a lot of makeup on Laura Linney. Yeah. <laughs> you could really see a lot of the makeup in the, in the Blu-ray version of this. Yeah. That was pretty, it must've been forgiving on DVD. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. But man, I feel bad for her. She looks like a drag queen. <laughs> uh, 
So the next night, uh, Smallwood and John meet, and uh, Smallwood says that he met the voices in his head. Yeah. Uh, so he looked human. Uh, he naturally, uh, Gordon was coming home from work at midnight from the chemical plant, which sounds really spooky. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, Ingrid Cole approaches his car while it's mysteriously parked and says, uh, uh, in a place this size, the equator, 300 will die. And then uh, while Gordon's telling John this, uh, he uh, shows him a newspaper that says oh yeah it confirms that there was an, uh, earthquake. an earthquake in ecuador yeah uh so john goes to the chemical plant and he sees a cat like a bunch of bricks that are knocked in mm-hmm. and there's like an overlay of the orderly from the hospital sort of hinting that i guess it must have been injured cold or something but I, i'm not sure on that one yeah maybe that's open to interpretation Later in the day, John has Connie over for a couple of hotel bar drinks. Yeah, they're working up some sexual tension. Uh, When uh, Gordon says, oh, uh, gives them a call and says, uh, oh, Andrew Cole's here again. Uh, Would you like to talk to him? So John sends Connie away in in her... Yeah, she goes to check on Gordon. Mm-hmm. And he is going to try and keep Cold on the line while she heads over there. Yeah. So he's playing like a game of like 20 questions. Oh, where's my watch? It's in a sh- it's in your shoe. Under the bed. And the under the bed part is what really gets John here. As yeah, if, he like shuts the, the curtains and everything. Yeah, in the shoe. Not good enough. The fact that it's in the shoe under the bed. Terrifying. Gotta watch <laughs> out for that. He uh, answers a bunch of questions mm-hmm. that he... Like escalating, what am I holding in the in the cupboard? Chapstick, like the <laughs> famous the famous line. Just a bunch of stuff that yeah. there's absolutely no way anyone would ever know. Like mind blowing shit. And to be honest with you, John's mind is not sufficiently blown, in my opinion. Well, he does. He, he gets ex- over it real quick. He accepts that it's like a supernatural being. Definitely, and he. Uh, when all this hubbub is over, uh, Connie gets to Gordon's house, and Gordon has been asleep this whole time. Uh, he has no idea what she's talking yeah. about. And John asks uh, Indrid Cold what happened to his wife. And uh, Indrid says that he'll see Mary in time. Yeah. So John is a smart guy, a reporter. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, I guess he must have found what he was looking for at the electronics store because yeah. he records this. And he takes it to Windows 95 audio guy. Yeah, uh, some sort of audio dudes who I guess live in this town. And he gives it a big stamp that says, this was not made by human vocal cords. <laughs> so he goes from there to look up premonitions. Very Carrie-esque. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then he calls his friend and tries to get his friend to cover for him while he's going to blow off. Uh, he still can't make it to Virginia. Yeah, and do like actual work as a Washington Post reporter. Uh, pretty big job to blow off. But instead, he is able to take a flight to meet with Professor Alexander Leake, which is Keel backwards, yeah. the, the author of the book. But um, so he wants to ask him questions about the Mothman, and uh, he's scared. It's like a constant game of like, I won't tell you anything. Okay, I'll tell you this one thing, but I'm not going to tell you anything else. Yeah. Okay, but one more thing. Is a very terrible deep throat. They really, they could have cut this out. He could have done all of his own research. This character sucked. Yeah, man. So uh, he s- sort of starts explaining what his interpretation of the Mothman is. Uh, saying crap about, like, it's a nocturnal butterfly and then he explains that this stuff's been happening forever. Even cave drawings have the Mothman. Yeah, a normal condition of the planet, but it's uh, not part of our physical reality. <laughs> I've done that like 12 times this episode. Do a bingo, someone. <laughs> uh, and um, it basically, he's implying that the Mothman or mothmen on a dimension other than our own yeah and they're they don't cause disasters but they seem to be drawn to them yeah he uses like the analogy of the window washer is able to see farther than they can Mm -hmm. so he can see an accident before it happens from like eight blocks away yeah so if someone was watching from further back they're obviously going to be able to see something about to happen in a different way yeah and uh he says like you know uh john's like well why why don't they explain themselves just outright and uh, kill's like well have you ever tried explaining yourself to a cockroach uh so he sort of implies they're sort of like gods uh and um john doesn't really get what i think he was hoping to get out of this which is meeting so and Keel's like, watch out, like, they know that you notice them, which is not good. So he heads back to Point Pleasant, just in time for the Christmas parade. Yeah, there is a lot of driving in this movie. He, <laughs> I hope he can expense yeah, it's his a, mileage. It's a lot of, like, ping-ponging back and forth between a New couple Eng- of the locations and stuff. New England, yeah. <laughs> um, so when he meets up with Connie, he lies and says that the, the dude wouldn't talk to him. Mm-hmm. And Connie says, 15 more people have seen that thing. Three of them were cops, god damn it. <laughs> like, oh, oh no, it's a, it's a epidemic. Uh, drama rises, and then we cut again to John driving. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of John driving, which maybe is supposed to be a, lot. a, a choice. But yeah. anyway, um, so he's driving, and then he sees Gordon on the bridge. Yeah, which is pretty convenient. 
so he stops to check on him because he's a nice guy and uh then gordon says some like pretty profound stuff yeah i hear him when i'm awake but i feel that i'm asleep and like uh a lot of there's a lot of like fancy focus work like cutting back and forth between the two guys where it's like one continuous scene mm-hmm. which for a movie is milk toast is this at least i can give it credit for those sort of production values i guess uh but uh that night, John sees Mary in a dream where she he wakes up next to her. Uh, and then uh, when he does wake up after this because he's shocked awake, he imagines smashing his head. Oh, yeah, he gets, he gets a mysterious wake-up call. Yeah, that he did not order. And the person just hangs up. Uh, so then he goes, like you said, into the bathroom and he's like examining himself in the mirror sort of i guess you could draw a parallel between this and what gordon was saying because he said when he heard the voices in the sink he like woke up and then he went to go to the washroom and what he saw well he didn't see anything he heard stuff but yeah and then john smashes his head in hallucination poltergeist style into the mirror um yeah and then he gets a call from Gordon saying he was right about everything. He's right here. It's real. Um, you don't have anything to worry about, and I'll see you soon. So uh, he rushes to Gordon's house, and he finds the house wide open. Uh, and he goes out back, and he finds Gordon dead against a tree. Yeah, as he's walking in the backyard, we get another Y. It shows, like, two frames, mm-hmm. like, two metal frames that are intersecting to create the Y. Um, yeah, so he finds Gordon, who has died from exposure. And he calls uh, Connie, and she says, oh, he's he has been dead for eight hours outside. Even though John had just gotten a call from him. About an hour ago, which Connie does not believe, and she's kind of pissed about it. Dying from exposure is a pretty gnarly way to go. Seems pretty unpleasant. Freezing to death, sort of. Yeah. I don't know how... I, I guess... I don't want to know, but I don't really yeah. know how that works. Is it just like hypothermia? I Is guess. It sort of the same thing. Exposure seems to be a catch all term to me because I feel like you can also die of exposure like in extreme heats, like in the desert or something. Yeah, I think it's just like exposure to the elements. Yeah, that makes sense. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to immediately after the funeral, John's taking a shot in uh, the bar in town. And I want to just say right now, the IMDb page is lying on the parental advisory thing. There is alcohol use in this movie several times. So watch out. Uh, And as he comes out of this dive bar, he runs into the firefighter uh, who we talked to earlier. And uh, he's like, oh, uh, hey, John, I got your messages. Uh, no, there's no, I don't think there's ever been an accident at the chemical plant. Uh, and, oh, yeah, and John did not make that call, or yeah. at least he doesn't think he made the call. Yeah, and he, cause, because the firehouse already tapes everything as they've already established, he sends those tapes off to get analyzed by his Windows 95 audio technician from earlier, who says, no, that's definitely, I would testify that it's you in a court of law. Mm-hmm. And this is perplexing 
to our our main man John. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, is it before that they analyze those tapes when he sees his wife in the street, um, or is that after? It's uh, or he thinks he sees. It's her. right after. So, uh, because Mary visits Connie in the police station, so I think he's on the phone with this audio engineer while he's walking to the police station to talk to Connie. And then that's when Connie, when John gets to the police station, Connie says, oh, uh, there's this really beautiful woman with like auburn hair who's looking for you. And John runs out into the street because he knows immediately. Yeah, she basically describes his wife totally, like red hair, green eyes, pretty. But she refuses to admit it when he shows yeah, her. Yeah, she suddenly, despite the fact that they've been investigating these claims together for the first most of this movie, she suddenly becomes a big skeptic and doesn't yeah. believe that this could be like a ghost or something. Yeah. So now she's come back around to being a skeptic while he believes it instead of sort of vice versa. Uh, John's back at the Avalon just in time to take one of those uh, static calls and seemingly a whole bunch of those static Mothman calls uh, in a row. Yeah, he gets a lot. Yeah, and then he's understandably freaking out a lot, and I think that's understandable. I would probably freak the hell out, too. <laughs> yeah, like being targeted by a supernatural being. No, thank you. Even if it's not supernatural, just like getting those phone calls like that would be pretty creepy, I yeah, think. Yeah, definitely. He uh, immediately takes off to go back to ask Leek's questions because calling him would be too hard i guess he would miss out on some recordings or something mm -hmm. uh and uh we get more of leek's backstory which i really feel like this could all all of leek's backstory if it had to keep it, him in this movie could have been contained in one uninterrupted segment yeah you know what i mean instead of this driving back and forth to chicago uh, and he says oh i was a pro physics professor when i started hearing the voices and then I tried to prevent a building disaster, and they said that... Yeah, he was yeah. given, like, uh, a warning from the Mothman about uh, an explosion. And he tried to warn them, but they just thought he was responsible afterwards. So he was investigated, and he pretty much lost everything. He got thrown in a mental hospital for four years. Uh, so he had to decide what was more important, being alive or whatever the hell the alternative was, I guess. Yeah, having proof that there were these uh, entities. So and, he turned away and he never looked back. Yeah, and he tells John, you're not allowed to know. Like, it's not a question of finding it out. It's We, we can never know it, basically. Yeah, exactly. So uh, John goes back to the hotel after this and he, like, rips everything down. He throws it away. Yeah, his, like, wall of evidence tied together with string and everything uh and those are like police files i don't think you can just toss them but who am i to judge who am i to judge he's the reporter maybe we'll assume they're copies mm -hmm. um so he is back at his hotel when he finds out through his friend that the governor yeah we kind of skipped over this uh in one of his phone calls he gets uh, the warning about the Ohio River. Yeah, tragedy on the River Ohio. Yeah. Which brings us to uh, finding out from his friend that the governor is now planning to come to the chemical plant for a tour in this West Virginia 
town and the the chemical plant is also on the Ohio River. So they're sort of assuming that there's going to be something or he's assuming that something bad is going to happen at the chemical plant. Yeah, and weird for this governor to be touring a chemical plant. I mean, I don't really know what governors do, but I would hopefully assume it's not touring plants all day. (laughs) But who knows? Who am I to judge? Uh, John ruins his professional career. John goes to Connie and says, I think something really bad is going to happen on this governor's visit you have to cancel it which she obviously refuses to do because she's a police officer she ignores uh the warnings he tries to warn the governor the governor ignores the warnings yeah he ruins his professional career and gets drunk in a marriott hotel bar afterwards which is something that i would definitely do i think (laughs) yeah definitely like he's humiliated himself uh, and we get to see John watching uh, news reports of the governor's highly successful trip to this awesome chemical plant, which gets top marks, like <laughs> <laughs> like overly pot glowing reviews to be like, and the building didn't explode, and everyone survived the visit, like <laughs> as well. Uh, and John gets a, a mysterious message yeah, that uh, it instructs him that he's supposed to go back to Georgetown and await a call from Mary. Connie finds him in the hotel. Presumably someone from the governor's detail told him or told her what had happened. Uh, and she says, uh, like, hey, dude, you gotta, like, wake up, like, what you just did, she doesn't say this literally, but, like, you just did something really outside of the ordinary today, and you need to realize what's going on, and John completely dismisses her, he's like, no, you need to realize what's going on, John drives back to the house in Georgetown, and he is waiting to hear from uh, Mary, his dead wife. Yes, he's yeah. he's getting pretty distraught about it, waiting for, waiting for the phone call, and then uh, he finally gets a phone call, but it's from Connie. Yeah. Connie uh, calls him on Christmas Eve. She tries to convince him that he need what he really needs to do is ignore the phone call from Mary because it's not Mary. It's not Mary, and then. Uh, he needs to come spend Christmas with her. And she's already paid for a plane ticket, which is so generous of Very her. Very sweet. Uh, and so they hang up. And she... Sorry, what? No. So they hang up, and then uh, the phone starts ringing. Like, immediately. Is it Mary? We'll never know. Because yeah. he rips it out of the wall. It's he... like the film's what's in the box moment yeah basically. he has his uh his moment of clarity and decides that the living are more important than the dead i guess yeah uh but to this phone uh you can never kill it because yeah. it keeps ringing even after it's been ripped out of the wall ah and he's freaking out and he heads off to return to point pleasant yeah so it's one of those classic Or at least I think it was attempting to be one of those fake endings where everything works out in the end. Um, But I don't really think they pulled it off very well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're really paraphrasing this movie, too, because it was two hours. Oh, my gosh. 
way we just too long. Didn't want to take too detailed of notes because honestly, not a lot happens. So we're pretty much just touching on the most important deets, and we're coming to our end, our big conclusions. So. Yeah, I got my facts and everything <laughs> to talk about. Um, so John, as he's coming back to Point Pleasant, yeah, apparently it's still Christmas Eve. Somehow, and she's gone to work already, and and you know, as you do on Christmas Eve, you shop for wedding dresses, as we th- see in the town. Right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> TJ's the the horny teen, the female half of the horny teen uh, couple. So he is arriving back, uh, just as the stoplight at the Silver Bridge has decided to malfunction and cause a gigantic pileup. The whole bridge is completely covered in cars, and it's at this point that John finally puts together, oh, the tragedy on the Ohio River is literally going to be on the Ohio River. Yeah, there's uh, we get some shots of the people, the motorists on the bridge, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are people we've seen throughout the movie so far. Our cast of characters. Uh, as people who have interacted with, the Mothman or had stories involving the Mothman mm-hmm. from Point Pleasant. So John is running down the length of the bridge very poorly saying, get out of the car. Totally unconvincing. Uh, but as also, as the bridge starts to genuinely collapse and everyone is sort of just staying in their cars. Yeah, well, uh, Connie gets out of her car because yeah, she sort Connie. of has uh, a feeling something weird is happening. So she starts walking to, like, inspect, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and this is as John is realizing that the bridge is going to be the, the disaster and that it's falling apart. So he bolts uh, onto the, the bridge as it's coming apart. And he tries to warn TJ, our male half of the horny teens. Yeah, Mr. Red Eye. Just as a cable snaps and comes down and I'm assuming bisects him. Yeah, like kills him dead. (laughs) Yeah. Cuts him up. Uh, And it's a great like early 2000s disaster scene. One of my favorites anyways from growing up. At Uh, this point, Connie has also realized that this is not good. So she starts trying to get people to get out of their cars and run to safety. Yeah, and she gets back in her car. I think she was trying to get over the loudspeaker or something to get to people and then tried to, like, radio broadcast or something. Yeah, or, like, a call for backup, maybe? I'm, yeah, I'm like not a radio sure. broadcast. Yeah, just, yes. like, 911 or something. And um, uh, when the bridge starts collapsing, she hits her head and goes completely unconscious. So John watches her as the bridge bifurcates and all of these cars, including Connie's, fall into the water and start sinking. Yeah, he watches, like, the entire bridge fall down, watches her uh, cop truck slowly sink into the water. And uh, then he jumps in, decides to be a hero. Yeah, it jumps off the bridge, and it seems like an impossibly like tall leap for anyone to make. Manages uh, to dive down to the bottom of this river. Yeah, with completely still, nice and clear waters, gets in the back of Connie's car, and is not exhausted at all when he gets to the air pocket inside. <laughs> well, 
somehow i guess it's very lucky for him not so lucky if she were to ever arrest someone but he like rips the cage separating the front and the back off good point with like no effort yeah, at all it's very easy for him so he's a master criminal yeah uh and he once he's in this air pocket he takes a couple of breaths and is like okay connie i'm gonna put you on my back and uh just takes her out seemingly quite easily yeah man back to the surface where Ooh, there's Christmas presents floating all around them from the various trunks of the cars, just like her dream. Yeah, just as she had foresaw. And uh, so they get told that 36 people have died in the collapse. And they both recognize it at the same time. It's her dream. She She was was number 37. 37. Oh my gosh. Uh, and uh, we get a weird shot of Richard Gere's face just like sort of glancing around afterwards. <laughs> it makes it's like a it's like a four second scene or like a clip makes no sense, serves no purpose. Uh, and then they sit together in the ambulance, and she rests her head on his shoulder as we zoom out Mothman style. Yeah, and we find out that the cause of the bridge collapse was never determined. And although the Mothman has been sighted in other parts of the world, it was never seen again in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Wow. What a romantic story. Very romantic story. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to cover a bit of the background of the Mothman quickly. Okay. Should I do Jamie Lee before? Do you want me to do it now? Yeah, do it now. Yeah, definitely. So our six degrees of Jamie Lee in this this adventure, uh, we have Laura Linney who was in a movie in 1993 called Dave. And also in that movie was Kevin Dunn, who was in Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis. So another pretty quick and easy one. Maybe if she wasn't such a prolific actress. (laughs) That's very true. Of stage and screen. So you are telling the story of the book how the book was made or what so i'm just gonna sort of do the whole thing because it's all sort of tied up into one the mothman originates from west virginia folklore uh from events that happened uh in point pleasant from november 12th 1966 to december 15th 1967 uh so on the 12th uh and this is considered the first mothman sighting ever uh, five men were digging a grave <laughs> in a cemetery uh, when they said they saw a like 10 foot tall gray man jump down from the trees with like a huge wingspan and fly over them. Um, which that would is, be pretty spooky. Yeah, not, not, Very spooky. <laughs> not a really good sign while you're digging a grave. Uh, and I clicked on the link to the the ta- the page for the town, and it's called Clendenin, where they were digging this grave. Okay. And the fir- literally the first thing it says, Clendenin is a Mothman town, which I love that there are Mothman towns in West Virginia, <laughs> and that that's the thing that they're best known by. Uh, on November 15th, so three days later, uh, there were two couples who were driving. Oh, I read about yeah, this one. They were in one car, uh, and they were driving in what's known as the TNT area around Point Pleasant, 
where there was this World War II ammunitions factory. Yes. And to this day, there's a lot of gunpowder and other things in those concrete igloos I mentioned earlier. Uh, and as well, it was like one of the most polluted places in America. So oh, now really? now it's one of those big, it's a big uh, natural park. Oh, interesting. Uh, anyways, uh, while they were there, uh, they saw a large gray flying man with glowing red eyes and a 10-foot wingspan who followed their car while they were driving. Definitely not something you want to see when you're out on a date night. No. I hope he used signals when he was following them. Uh, Just his one red eye blinking. Yeah. <laughs> depending on what direction he's planning on going. Uh, and over the next few days... There were a lot of other sightings. So some volunteer firefighters said that they saw a large bird with red eyes. Uh Uh, And this guy named Newell Partridge said he aimed a flashlight at something behind his house that had, and it had glowing red eyes that lit up like a bicycle reflector. Uh, And he also blamed the disappearance of his German shepherd. Oh yeah. I read about that one too. And he never saw it again because the dog took off chasing after it Ooh, it's not a good sign hopefully the mothman didn't eat it his friends and he searched for the dog they couldn't find it and it was never found bum, bum, bum. sorry uh the sheriff of the town uh said oh it's nothing it's quote an unusually large heron <laughs> called All a right. shite poke which i don't think is a real heron I know we have heron expert listeners who will write to us and tell us. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, December 15th, 67, uh, it's when the Silver Bridge collapsed. So that's the, basically the next year. Uh, and 46 people were killed. Uh, the Silver Bridge is the uh, uh, U.S. 35 highway. Uh, and... Uh, it collapsed because of a crack that was less than like half of a centimeter. Really? Yeah. Uh, and it was in a spot that couldn't be inspected because of the design oh, of the shit. bridge. That sucks. So there was literally nothing that they poor, could do. Poor planning yeah. on their part. <laughs> uh, and it was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, Cute. which I think it should be called the Silver Bridge Memorial Bridge. That would make more sense. <laughs> Missed opportunity yeah. there for sure. Uh, and after all of these events or during these events, uh, John Keel uh, wrote the book, uh, The Mothman Prophecy in 1975, describing the events uh, that happened in this town between the first initial sightings and the bridge collapse. And then afterwards, and he said, you know, there was like UFO activity, uh, people were having hallucinations and men in black encounters with these weird people who are making them hallucinate and all this sort of stuff. Um, and Keel was uh, one of the early uh, true paranormal writers uh, who popularized that he didn't invent the term men in black, but he popularized it. Okay. Uh, and he also coined the term ultra terrestrials. So not basically the idea that uh ufos didn't come from other planets that they were just beings of a higher order that we can't understand very interesting yeah uh but it's basically after after the bridge collapsed there were no more mathman activities in point pleasant so 
don't know, it's, it's a bit of like a temporal phenomenon. Kiel says that there's other examples of the Mothman appearing throughout history. And through um, other places. Yeah. I even saw, like, recently, I guess there's been, like, a bunch of sightings in 2017 in Chicago, so. Watch out, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a Vice article about it that oh, I'm sure it out. would come up if you just searched. <laughs> so, uh, And Kiel also mentions talking on the phone with someone called Mr. Apple, like A-P-O-L, um, who was one of these ultra, ultra natural beings. Naturally, of course, of uh, course, yes. of course. Uh, so the Mothman phenomenon inspired a lot of hoaxes. Uh, As I would imagine it would. Like the West Virginia Loch Ness. Yeah. Uh, so they... And these included people tying, like, flashlights to helium balloons and then sending them up in the sky so people thought it was the Mothman flying around. Uh, but since the Mothman prophecies came out in 2002, uh, the real Point Pleasant, West Virginia, has experienced a huge renaissance. They uh, got a statue of the Mothman, which is a huge tourist attraction. It's uh, kind of silly looking, though, right? Yeah, like I, it's aluminum. I saw it on yeah, it's... It's not very imposing. It's very um, impressionistic. Yeah, it's like modern. a very humanoid butterfly-looking thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they uh, started a annual Mothman festival. Okay. Uh, and then in two thousand five, uh, they got the Mothman Museum. It's the world's only. Mothman Museum. Seems like if the Mothman were real and you were concerned about this guy coming back, why would you want to uh, create these festivals to honor him? I don't know. Thankfully, if the movie is right, he he don't care. He, yeah, he's he's above it on. all. He's above it all. He's gone on to like uh, Kuwait or something at this point. I'm sure. <laughs> so the annual Mothman Festival takes place the third weekend in September. Uh, and this movie basically completely revitalized the town. Uh, that is so awesome. And and now in the annual festival, uh, I I think oh, what was it? Two thousand people come to this festival every year now, and the town has forty six hundred people in it. Oh, well, so that's a lot. It's then. huge. Wow. Uh, there is a Mothman pancake eating competition. Okay. A moth. That... Yeah, I don't know what they actually what look like. What does that have to do with anything? They're the shape of the Mothman, allegedly. All right. Uh, there's a Mothman frappuccino. Okay. Uh, there. What's in it? I have no idea. Ah. <laughs> Um, have to look that up after. There, but there's a Mothman pizza as well at Village Pizza. What's on that? Uh, that I do know. It is a $10 pie. Okay. Uh, his eyes are made of peppers with olives for the pupils, Ooh. mushrooms for the wings, and his body is pepperoni. Ooh, you know it. Okay. Pepperoni body. Sure. That's what they call me. <laughs> so um, in, in the recent years, there has also been the Mothman 5K Sure. Yep. I'll and pretend I know what that is. It's where you run for five kilometers. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, thanks. Presumably like the Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> and 
uh, Little Miss Mothman beauty pageant. Well, I mean that that just some things just make sense, and that's obviously one of them. Why wasn't that on the last season of Toddlers and Tears? I don't know. You'll I have want to, you'll have to, to write know. a letter. It was so good, so good. And I wanted to get intimately acquainted with the Mothman Museum. Okay, that sounds awesome. I'm excited to hear about it. Since it is the world's only Mothman Museum, as the I only, previously mentioned. Yes. So on Google, it has a 4.6 out of 5 rating, and that's out of 229 reviews, which is pretty good, I think. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty good indication of quality, I think. And people, many. it says, usually stay for one hour, which when you're paying $3 for admission, I think is pretty good return on investment. Yeah. Uh my favorite question from the Google page is Mothman still her because last time he was saw on that bridge that was in the 90s is he what exactly <laughs> very mysterious uh, the Mothman Museum was that an alien there <laughs> I think so an, an ultra Some kind of alien, ultra entity anyway. uh, it is the number one of six things to do in Point Pleasant Place or Point Pleasant, I should say, as rated on TripAdvisor. And it boasts the largest collection of props and memorabilia from the Mothman Prophecies 2002 movie in existence. And these props include uh, uh, John Keel's suit from when he visited the town. <laughs> His suit jacket, it's in like a... Uh, uh, Annabelle the doll like glass display case like it's cursed or something all right that's a weird one uh there is also uh the broken glass from the car when when Deborah Messing crashes the car okay as well as the drawings that she did in the hospital well those are spooky I can see that uh Connie's police jacket and uh signed headshots from each cast member okay (laughs) sure I mean, uh, they were there. You might as well. Definitely. And once you're done seeing all of these sites, you can also go to the gift shop where you can buy uh, Mothman plush dolls in multiple styles. I almost met Richard Gere once. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When I was in a hotel in Winnipeg when I was like 12 or so with my mom, uh, it was at the same time that they were shooting that movie about dancing with Jennifer Lopez and I think Susan Sarandon. I think it's called Shall We Dance, honestly. A classic. And uh, no, they were filming it at the hotel that I was staying in. Stars Align. Yeah. Didn't meet him, though. So, no, But you were in the same area. You breathed his air. Yeah. <laughs> Me and the gerbil. Mm-hmm. We were, we could have been tight. <laughs> uh Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. Continue on. Tell me more. The gift shop. In addition to these two plush dolls, you can get Mothman coffee, a Mothman frisbee, Mothman hot sauce, a Mothman challenge coin. A frisbee makes sense. Because it flies. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like a A UFO. flying saucer. You're right. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, And my favorite, the $8 Mothman fidget spinner. Still, (laughs) still, still. Throw it out. It's done. (laughs) Why the Mothman has no time for such trivialities. And last but not least, I wanted to review the IMDb because it's adorably pathetic. Okay. Uh, the director uh, has no other directing credits to speak of, uh, although like he, he has directed he a lot of, well, like, I mean, like major motion pictures. Oh, yeah. He's directed a lot of TV shows. 
uh, and uh, a lot of music videos. Yeah, mostly music videos. Imagine Dragons' latest music video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, this movie won an award for sound editing. Did it the really? 2002 award for sound editing. What, what award? Not at the Academy Awards. It was at the like Guild of Sound Editing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So one that doesn't matter. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, if you're a sound editor, I bet it matters a whole bunch. Sure. <laughs> I'm not a sound editor, so I stand by my statement. But, well, I guess technically I am a sound editor because I edit these. But Yeah, there you go. No. Um, and... Uh, the last really interesting thing about this movie was that the uh, miniature prop bridge that they blew up and okay. destroyed at the very end uh, was constructed by third generation master model maker Gene Warren the Third. It's a dynasty of yes, model makers. Exactly. So he's the third generation physical. Uh, he's the third generation visual ex- uh, effects supervisor okay and his grandfather won the first oscar for uh orson wells the time machine in 1960 which was like the effect of like time going backwards while he was in the machine all the all the props and the windows changing and everything well that's really exciting kind of appropriate too given the uh context of this movie i guess definitely he said that it's his favorite Thing that he's worked on to date because it had over 20,000 individual pieces of steel that went into Ooh. it yeah. and then they blew it up which must be very bittersweet to do but <laughs> so overall what did you think of this movie um when i first the reason why i suggested it and proving i should never suggest any movies i guess <laughs> but uh, the reason why I suggested it is because I remember watching this the year after it came out on the movie network, and it scared the hell out of me. And I always, I'm, aliens scare me more than anything. Like the idea of like, oh, we're just gonna come and like fuck around with you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, yeah. So this scared me in the same way. I had to always sleep with the blinds closed because I was worried about waking up and seeing the Mothman. I can see that. Like, it is yeah. very, like, ominous and mysterious because you never <laughs> actually see... Well, I guess you do when Deborah Messing sees it. Yeah. And that's the only time. You maybe see him for, like, like 10, min- 10 seconds for yeah. the whole movie. And then when you see who is potentially Indrid Colds talking to Gordon, it's just, like, his Mr. Burns-style glowy outline. Oh, that's such a good metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly that. I don't know the pros. Um, I'm really glad that they didn't force the romantic subplot between John and Connie yes. more than it already was, and it was a little bit cheesy in parts. I thought that the cinematography was very interesting, and I can't think of another example of something similar, and it was very on point in terms of what it was trying to convey. Yeah. I think that's that's probably one of the things I liked most about this movie, and the the drawings were very creepy. Although very convenient that everyone drew exactly the same style, exactly <laughs> the same thing. I would have liked it better if it was like everyone drew their own weird version of it. And then uh, we we both said that we think it could have been shorter. Oh my gosh! Because there was a yeah. lot of stuff that was really just stuff that could have been skimmed totally superfluous the whole thing with the author leak yeah leak honestly didn't need to be in this movie 
at all. His character served no purpose. And you can tell they already cut a whole bunch of stuff out because there isn't that much exposition. They mostly show stuff <laughs> to you. Uh, uh, the writing in general... Sort of uh, like, meh. Especially, like, Deborah Messing's character was a cipher. She's just a, She was the woman he loves. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and Connie... The, the dialogue between them was a bit ham-fisted. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I've i never been a huge fan of this movie. Yeah, and I can see why. A fort, it doesn't live up to what the first time I saw it when I was a kid. There is another one that came out about the same time that had a similar-ish sort of plot. Okay. Called... Dragonfly. Ooh. I think it was Kevin Costner. Okay. And like his wife dies. No, she's not actually dead. And that's the whole thing. She's like presumed dead okay. in, I'm going to say, Colombia. Never a good sign. And she's not actually dead, but everyone says that she's dead. But he keeps saying the, the dragonfly, so he knows that she's not dead. <laughs> I, I barely remember it. I just remember I like that it. I didn't like it. I like it. And it had a similar bug-themed title. Yeah. And I think it came out around the same time. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so our final thoughts in the movie, I don't know. I would honestly probably give it a 5 or a 6 out of 10. Uh, if I'm being generous. Yeah, I, I feel confident giving it a 6, personally. It's not uh, very well-liked on the whole. No consensus seems to be sort of lackluster yeah, i regret picking it interesting source material that was kind of squandered yeah especially on richard gear yeah and like there exists the potential for it to have been quite scary yeah i think so like there's lots of stuff situationally and like the phone calls are creepy enough i like that it doesn't show you the terrible CGI version of what I would imagine the Mothman would have looked like in 2002. Oh, it would have been so bad. So I, I definitely give credit where credit's due for that because a lot of movies around that time were still like going balls to the wall. Here, look at this scary ghost that's in 2000s uh, visual 3D graphics yeah. like Darkness Balls 13 or ghosts. 13 Ghosts. Yeah. Where it's just like crocodile, even, yeah, yeah, just like not good, mm-hmm. and it's not there, and it's glaringly not there when you look back now and you watch movies like that. So you can tell that people put a lot of effort into this movie, and like the the it looks good, but it's not good. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's largely shallow. It uh, another m- movie it reminds me of. Uh, which I also didn't like, was The Fourth Kind, which I think came out in, like, 2009. Is that the one where they see owls? Yes. And it's Mila Jovovich. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I never saw it, but the trailer scared the hell out of me. It's not scary, and it's not very good. Yeah, but it would scare me. Okay, well, we're not going to watch it. (laughs) I know, but, like, those those fake, the fake alien interview videos scared me. Because I'm a big freaky cat when it comes to aliens. Well, but then again, this movie scared me, and it's probably it's about it, the same it's, thing. This is definitely <laughs> the best cryptid movie we've done so far. I'm gonna agree with you on that one. 
Okay, and with that said, thank well, you. What, next week, yeah. I think we are going to be talking. We're doing a Dario Argento. Uh, I think it's going to be opera. Good, cleanse but our palate. It after may this. be Tanabray. I'm good with either, man. So we'll see. It'll be one of those two for sure. I I think opera. I feel like that would be a good one to do. I think there's lots to talk about with that one. But anyway, that said, mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. We are definitely First Blood. We are a horror movie podcast. Mm-hmm. We, Despite what this movie was. <laughs> yeah, we post uh, new episodes every Friday. We... Like, the idea is to stay around, like, the 70s, 80s, 90s, but there's been a couple now where we've gone. This is our most recent, uh, 2002. Probably our last for a while. I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. There's a couple that we could definitely watch from the early 2000s that I'd be totally down for. Casper. Uh, But anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, It would be awesome if you guys took the time, if you feel like it, totally not mandatory obviously but uh follow us on twitter at deaf first blood or on instagram at definitely first blood or even send us an email at definitely first blood at gmail.com uh i don't read the email as often as i should but uh i'm trying to get better at that so you will just like i'm trying to get better at posting on twitter and stuff so and that that said goodbye Goodbye. Bye. Good night. Bye.